0: Thank you very much. I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed oh, writing that love one. love that. It was cool. All right, it looks like we are live on Facebook and YouTube, and welcome everyone to Tomorrow's World Now, uh, where we know there's serious questions out there, and we do try to bring you very real answers. It's our pleasure to be here. And welcome to the program today. We're going to touch items concerning current news. We're going to touch items concerning prophecy. Uh, and if you have your Bible with you, feel free and check on anything that we say, because we want to say what's in your Bible, not just what's off the top of our heads. Uh, The topic today is the Antichrist and ecumenism and the prophesied beast of Revelation, world peace. There's this general movement going on here and there. You see it peek into the news every once in a while. A lot of people don't necessarily care about it, but as we're going to talk about, actually these things do touch on matters of prophecy. Uh, We do have several topics we're going to go through today. We're going to try to get to them in this order. You should be seeing them on your screen right now. But uh, some of these things, they're so interrelated, we might end up jumping around just a little bit. We hope that all of you out there will forgive us as we do. I have a distinguished panel with me of not just distinguishing fellows, but but good friends. I can call you all friends, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Good. Oh,
0: good. oh, I was worried there about the, the one. Uh, on my far right, we have Mr. Mike D. Simone. Uh, he is an associate pastor here with the Living Church of God, uh, actually in our area. Uh, I enjoy getting to work with him all the time. We have to my left immediately, Mr. Mario Hernandez, who's the director of the Spanish work. In fact, uh, why don't you look into the camera head and, and say something in Spanish to those who might be watching in Spanish?
2: Un saludo, amigos, que nos escuchan de habla hispana.
0: I heard him say friends. I understood that one part. I know I got that. (laughs) Uh, My name is Wallace Smith. Uh, You might see me on Tomorrow's World Magazine. I'm the managing editor of Tomorrow's World Publications. In fact, I can't help but say we just got uh, printed the most recent Tomorrow's World Magazine. This is the September October issue. I'm very excited. The cover article is What Comes After World War III. I hope you will uh, take a look. I'm very excited about this issue and happy to get it out. All right, gentlemen, we're going to jump right into the topic today. Pope Fran- let me actually explain before I get into it too deeply. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Catholic Church today. We're going to be talking about Pope Francis and his travels around the world and things that he's doing. I want to make sure it's really clear. We're not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I want to be upfront about that. Uh, Mr. DeSimone, are you? I'm not Catholic. You're not Catholic? No. Are you sure? Correct. You sure? He's, he's, he's very confident <laughs> about that. Also, Mr. Hernandez, are you Catholic by any chance?
2: Uh, no, sir.
0: Okay, he's not. We are not Catholic. So you might wonder why we have so much interest concerning the Catholic Church, uh, and what Pope Francis is doing or not doing. And I think that'll become a little more obvious as we go into today's topic. So I'm going to actually jump into an article That came out fairly recently. It's from the Catholic News Agency. Of all those things, I just said we're not Catholic, and I'm reading something from the Catholic News Agency. But really, if you want some news, get it from the source. And the title of the article was actually published, it looks like uh, June 27, 2017. I think that's the right date. But the title was, Unity is More Than Bland Uniformity, Pope Tells Orthodox. Now, this is a meeting of Pope Francis with the leader of the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, and I'm just going to comment from this article. Uh, the Pope said on June 27th, "Peter and Paul, speaking of the apostles, Peter and Paul, as disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ, served the Lord in very different ways. Yet, in their diversity, both bore witness to the merciful love of God our Father." which uh, which each in his own fashion profoundly experienced even to the sacrifice of his own life. So really what you see is him trying to use the example of Peter and Paul as supposedly two very different individuals uh, that perhaps some would even claim didn't believe the same thing, as an example of sort of uh, the ability to be ecumenical, to actually sort of work together and ignore differences. And actually, we weren't planning on talking about this, but in particular, well, what do you guys address what, I'll be up front, is a myth, this myth that somehow... Peter had one Christianity and Paul had a different Christianity. Can you comment on that? Because that that gets under my skin just a bit.
2: I think the best way to answer that is what Peter says Mm -hmm. about Paul in his second epistle, close to the very end of his second epistle. And I'm going to read, I think that that's a written record that uh, proves that they both believe the same thing, Mm -hmm. and Peter wanted to make sure that people would not misunderstand Paul. So I think that's a that's an amazing statement here. <clears throat> Let me see if I find it here. It says, uh, "Yes, Second Peter chapter three M um, verse. Uh, let's put it here, in um, verse fifteen. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul. That's how he speaks about." Paul according to the wisdom given unto him has written unto you. So they're addressing the same people. As also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand or to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do, also other scriptures unto their own destruction. So we have a declaration by formal declaration, written, preserved until this day, that they both believe the same thing, and that Peter is making sure they don't—they are not going different ways.
1: Right, and it's you know in this passage he's. Putting Paul's writings on par with Old Testament scripture. Yes. Uh, so he's giving a lot of uh, validity to uh, Paul's Excellent. writings and yes. the, right. his epistles.
0: Right. People will. will one they'll try to make a. It seems like make hay out of the. Uh, uh, about the fact that one was preaching mainly to the Jews and one mainly to the Gentiles, but if you really look carefully, it was the same message. Mm-hmm. It really, it really was. They were both carrying the truth. Sure. Uh, it wasn't even vastly different traditions. Like no. it seems like Pope uh, Francis here is trying to is trying to intimate in discussing things with the Eastern Orthodox, and uh, more mm-hmm. than that, it was that their theology was the same. And people would also try to make hay of the fact that. Paul confronted Peter at one point. We're not pretending he didn't. They, they, he saw it, but that was actually a personal difference. That wasn't a matter of doctrine. That actually right. wasn't a matter of uh, tradition. It was a matter that he saw his brother not walking in accordance with the things they believed. And mm-hmm. and so what is Peter's response? Well, he didn't get angry and shake his fist. He actually talks about him in his letter. You know, that's yes. actually, it's a, it's a Christian spirit. But Wonderful. that's sort of a, a side note. What, what's really important is what is the Pope trying to actually accomplish with things like this? Uh, what do you... What are your instinctive reactions when you hear things in the news about about Pope Francis uh, reaching out, say, to the Orthodox, and making these comments that, well, well, well can't we all be together? you know, why why can't why can't we just be together?
1: Uh, you know one of the first things that comes to mind is, uh, you know, a passage in Revelation seventeen mm-hmm. talks mm-hmm. says the mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth, you know, just, Uh, we know through prophecy that we'll get into some of these passages today, we know that uh, there will be a coming together. There will be kind of a, a climax, if you will, of the Protestants and Catholic Churches coming together in that way. Of course, this is the Eastern Orthodox, you know, if, if they could add those people to the Catholic uh, mass of people, if you will. Oh,
0: I uh, heard who, what you did there, <laughs> Mr. DeSimone.
1: If, uh, if they could add that, that gives a lot more strength, a lot more numbers in that way. Um, so definitely prophetic, and we'll, we'll look at some of those... Right. Passages, yeah. yeah, that's
0: just, you know, that's probably officially the best pun we'll have for the entire uh, <laughs> program. So don't expect any better of us. And no, that's exactly right. You, you do see them reaching out, and 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 really a lot of them reaching out. But many of the articles that we've reviewed for this particular program talk about how there's this sort of growing desire to wonder why why is everyone so separate? Uh, why, why do we have this tradition and this tradition and this denomination? Why aren't we all together? And you do see uh, Pope uh, I keep want to say Pope John Paul. I do know time has moved on, Pope <laughs> Francis. Uh, you do see him reaching out to try to achieve more of these sorts of ends. There's another uh, item in the news concerning uh, his work with uh, uh, Welby, uh, the head of the Anglican uh, Communion. And in terms of that work, and talk about the problems they had. There's an article actually out of the Telegraph. It's from last year, but it, it's it's a good illustration of these kind of ecumenical efforts. The title was "Well, and Pope Francis Set Sights on Reunification, but No Way Around Differences Over Female Clergy and Sexuality Yet." It was dated October 2016, uh, October 5. And I'll just read the first few comments. It says, Pope Francis and the Archbishop of Canterbury have publicly pledged to press on toward the full reunification of the Roman Catholic and Anglican churches mm-hmm. while admitting they do not yet see a solution to differences over the female clergy and sexuality. Uh, there is a lot of talk of the, uh, uh, the Anglican uh, Communion beginning to accept, uh, maybe bless so-called homosexual marriages, and also possibly include homosexuals in terms of uh, the clergy and, and, and females as well. It says they insisted that they were, quote, undeterred in their desire to heal the split between the two churches which emerged amid the convulsions of the Reformation, which began 500 years ago. Hmm. Now it says next year, but we're actually in the middle of that right. 500th anniversary year. So we see we saw reach out to the... Eastern Orthodox, uh, we see a reach out here to the Anglicans, uh, it's just a continuing effort.
1: There is a... it's a systematic effort to unite, to come together. Uh, I wanted to read from the... Uh, just a little quote from the first article that you mentioned uh, from the Catholic News Agency. Okay. Uh, It says uh, Pope Francis met with a delegation from the Ecumenical uh, Patriarchate of Constantinople saying their journey toward full communion is one that ought to respect their unique traditions, and this is kind of in line with the article you just just mentioned, Um, rather than a uniformity that would end... That would, in the end, make the Church more boring. You know, <laughs> bringing more in, bringing more into the fold, I mean, this is what has been done actually over the past 2,000 years. Right. They've taken in the various traditions of, uh, of paganism, uh, that's where a lot of the, you know, Christian, the the so-called Christian holidays come from, uh, is from kind of taking in paganism in that way.
0: Right, Mr. Hernandez.
2: Yes, uh, Why this concerted effort at this time? You know, from the Catholic point of view, if you want from their side, it started in 1961 when Pope John XXIII established the Office for the Promotion of Christian Unity. And the Eastern Orthodox Churches created the Pan-Orthodox Conference. Dialogue among the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, Pentecostal and Protestant churches, have brought general consensus on such issues as baptism, the Eucharist, and the nature of ministry. The Lutheran churches and the Roman Catholic Church have agreed on a common understanding on the doctrine of justification, even as Lutherans, Episcopalians, and the Reformed churches have attain surprising unanimity on certain theological issues. Mm-hmm. So we see a concerted effort from mm-hmm. both sides to come together. Mm-hmm. My friends, this is not this is not a, a, a coincidence. If you analyze the word ecumenism, it comes from the Greek, oikumene, which means the whole inhabited world. It's interesting that the The term Catholic means universal. So what we are seeing here is a concerted effort, and it's very interesting that it's parallel to the effort of Europe to come together as the seventh restoration of Rome. Mm. And if you study history, you know every one of the restorations of Rome have been in agreement with the Catholic Church. They come together. How is it that today those movements are... A great effort going on now in Europe. You know very well all the efforts since 1957 and even before to do to achieve total union in Europe. And what is the church trying to do to achieve total union? And we are heading towards the seventh restoration of Rome. If the six first restorations were the every emperor was crowned by a pope. So we are seeing this movement together. It's not a coincidence. We know they are going to achieve something. The question is, how is this going to happen? Some efforts have have given good results, but someone said also that it's kind of a winter now. They have reached certain agreements, but they don't go beyond. What do you think of that? Uh, I think, it's really funny to me, I thought Mr. DeSimone made a really good
0: point, that when it comes to the expansion of the Roman Catholic Church, you go back hundreds and hundreds of years, part of how it did that was by accommodating so many other faiths and so many other traditions of of various origins, you know, pagan. But now it's actually not known publicly for that. It's known for being very strict, you know, not really being willing to bend and compromise, which I do think there's much more effort in that. And at least what I see in the news, it seems as though uh, Pope Francis is very willing to be more accommodating. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, there's a... Uh, One of the most fascinating recent accommodations concerns this particular 500th year of the anniversary of the Reformation, and uh, NPR had a good article on this. There's actually been quite a number of articles we reference, I know at least one in our magazine, about how the Pope actually came and commemorated the Reformation. Here, You know, here's the Catholic Church. It was the Great Schism, the Protestant Reformation, and yet the Pope himself made a personal appearance to honor the person of Martin Luther. Uh, the title of the article, I think you guys at home are seeing on your screen, is The Pope Commemorates the Reformation that Split Western Christianity. Hmm. It was published October 28, 2016. That's actually when he made a personal appearance. It's kind of funny, if I recall, he made a personal appearance also in a cathedral That the Catholic Church lost as a result of the Reformation, but went and made some comments. This comment isn't actually from uh, Pope uh, Francis himself, Uh, it's from this fellow, Jared O'Connell, who's a Vatican correspondent for Jesuit magazine, but it's very reflective of the comments that I read the Pope make. And he mentions a recognition, perhaps, in terms of what this is, a recognition, perhaps, that both sides missed something at the time of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, he says the Catholic Church missed ways of reforming itself. Luther and those around him, on the other side, that is, pressed in a way that just shouldn't be, couldn't be taken on board. So in a way, both sides misspoke. I thought it was funny to use the word misspeak because we hear politicians say that a lot these days. But if you look at the at Pope Francis's comments on those occasions, because I've read them, he was essentially talking about how there was corruption in the church, he admits that. There was a lot of financial corruption and the rest, but he doesn't seem to speak to any true deep doctrinal errors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what you see in a lot of these talks, at least as I can tell, it seems like they're trying to talk around how do we make unity without really compromising on some deep doctrines Mm -hmm. of some sort.
1: Sure. Willing to
2: take Mm -hmm. in, you know, whatever they need to for this idea of unity. Right, right. It makes you wonder what is going to cause this unity. We know from the Bible that there will be a seventh restoration of Rome. How is it going to happen? I think we're witnessing and we're approaching an event. You know, those groups, the Eastern Orthodox and the Protestant churches, they have many things in common and they have achieved a lot of agreements, they have achieved a lot of results, like I just read in the, in my, in just a moment ago. What is it going to make these two really come together? Right. You can tell that you can have oxygen and uh, hydrogen together to make the famous H2O, the formula for water. But you can put those two elements together, and if there is not, an electrical spark to go through there, they will not become water. They will not be fully united to be really, uh, to, to, to produce what we know as water. I think in the Bible, we have something amazing that is going to happen for sure. First of all, we know that the Catholic Church, by prophecy, we know is a replica of the Roman Empire. And the word ecumenos, ecum, ecumene, or ecumene that I just read, it was historically used with specific reference to the Roman Empire. It means the whole inhabited world. So what we are probably about to see, we don't know the dates, what we know is going to happen is in your Bibles. If you want to read with me, Book of Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13, We see something is going to happen like the spark that unites the elements to produce water. What is going to make those people agree who is the boss? And that's one of the main problems they have, that they don't agree who is going to have full authority. And in verse 13 of chapter 13 of Revelation, we read, he does great wonders. He's speaking of a a person that is coming to come into the world of sin with great power. Miracle-working power, my friends, that is is going to cause a hysterical, emotional state worldwide. I don't go into all the details, but my friends can help me here. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. You see here is the religious figure in sight of the beast with the Roman Empire saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. That means a unification of the Roman Empire and when the other groups and the leaders see the power that can be displayed is coming fire down from heaven and God says in Deuteronomy that can be announced beforehand and people will be expecting a miracle like that it will be like the spark that unites these elements to make water it's probably what's going to happen we speculate a little bit here we know something is going to happen and we probably uh, can speculate. That's what's going to create this union, not only of the churches but even of the European European Union to become the Roman Empire, and it will be worldwide, my friends. It, it will it will reach far. This is going to be something. I don't know what you have to add to it to this uh, speculation, Mr. Wally Smith. Well, I
0: think this is a good transition. It reminds me, what you're talking about are amazing things that are going to happen, and there is going to be this sort of ecumenical effort that does bring everyone under one umbrella. We actually have a question on Facebook uh, asking, is, I need to make sure I can see it here on my screen, is it uh, probable a pope or even a present one, Pope Francis, that will be the false prophet of Bible prophecy? We'll kind of get into that here in a minute. I'm going to ask these distinguished gentlemen, in terms of what are things we can look for to identify who such an individual would be. Uh, but before that, I think you make an excellent point. All these efforts we see today, there's an article uh, even read in the New York Times talking about political changes that the Pope seems to be making in the Catholic hierarchy. All these efforts seem, I got to be up front, relatively weak. They're bringing groups together as best exactly. they can, but there's so many core <laughs> things they don't agree on. Yeah. You highlighted it, Mr. Hernandez, mm-hmm. that... The agreement about papal authority, that this is the Pope, and he's supposed to be really the guy in charge, speaking in layman's terms, but he's supposed to be the guy that everyone looks to as the authority ecclesiastically for the church overall. And they talk about, like, that's not the big elephant in the room, but deep things like that are. How are they going to patch over those things to actually bring a unity? And we're talking about some of those signs. You've already brought some of them out, and I'll ask you guys for more. But I do want to highlight, because sometimes outside of just big movements, you know, in terms of giant leaders getting together, you do have people get together and say, well, hey, why can't, why can't we just get along and just be one big Christian church? The Bible makes really clear what the basis of unity for believers in Jesus Christ and the Bible actually is. If you look in 1 John in chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, the apostle John says, starting in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. The truth does make a difference. Then he says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, that is if we do that, we actually walk in truth, we walk in obedience, we're walking together in truth and light, then it says we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Truth is the foundation of actual real unity, not this kind of political papering over Mm. that it seems like so many of these efforts are, and yet there is a passion for it, people do want that unity, And there are going to be things, like you talk about, Mr. Hernandez, that are going to make those things happen. So educate, actually, our viewers. What are some of the things that that we can look for that would help us to identify when this Antichrist figure comes on the scene? Mr. Hernandez highlighted that he is going to bring forces together. He's going to bring them in unification before the beast power, this coming economic, political, uh, warlike union. But, what should we look for on the scene? any uh, any thoughts to share with everyone here?
1: You know, I do want to just uh, add to the the idea of the fire being called down from heaven. If you don't know the truth and understand the the truth of God's word, you know if 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 we don't study it and know it, and we there's a guy calling down fire from heaven, right? <laughs> Uh, as it says in uh, Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, mm-hmm. those who who know His word and know right. that. Truth. The devil's
0: going for the brass ring. He's yeah. going for deceive everybody he possibly can.
1: That's right. So that that certainly uh, will. One, as far as the, the signs and wonders, So I mean, let me miracles. summarize, let me
0: paraphrase what you said. You're talking about real supernatural right? events sure. and powers. Yep. I mean, really, I, I think you make an excellent point that I hadn't actually thought about in a long time in that way. What's the only... If I saw some fellow on Facebook who is literally calling down fire from heaven, and you have these people from these skeptic societies like the amazing Randy and others, and they come to debunk him, and they go away going... Well, no, he actually did. You know, I don't know what else to say. He actually did call down fire from heaven. You had maybe Richard Dawkins, all these famous atheists. They can't explain it any other way. uh, That Here's a fellow who is truly, supernaturally calling down fire from heaven. What is the only guard against that kind of deception other than the truth? Mr. Hernandez.
2: Yes, the truth. For example, we have a key here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 13. Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, to magnify it. And he came to explain to us how to apply it today in the spirit. This is a key that is extremely important. because We are are talking now, uh, what's the sign? What is going to be the key? How can you tell when a miracle comes from God or it doesn't come from God? Mm -hmm. With absolute certainty. How can you do that? We have the key right here. If there arise among you, I'm reading Deuteronomy chapter 13. We see how well it applies to uh, Revelation 13. Same number says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives thee a sign or a wonder, the other version says he announces it. He might announce it beforehand, three days before, so that CNN and uh, all the news you know, channels will be right there to witness because he says it's before the whole world, before the earth. And he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. Mm-hmm. And then he says, whereof he spoke unto you, saying, let us go after other gods. When you read Revelation 13 and verse 13, immediately you see that this verse applies from Deuteronomy straight there. What the first thing he does, I read it, you go there and you will see it. He will deceive the whole world saying to make an image to the beast. That means they have to worship an image. And we know that they're going to have a sign, which is common to all these churches, is Sunday. And so that's things that we have to look for. How does a person know when it comes from God and when it doesn't? Here we continue. If they make the miracle and say, go after another God, that means they worship this image, which is Transgression of the second commandment and the sign or well, the first signs of a true Christian disciple of Jesus Christ. He keeps the Ten Commandments. So he makes a miracle. And by the strength and the impression of the miracle worldwide, he incites people to worship images. The elect cannot be deceived. The elect have the law of God written in their hearts, excuse me, in their hearts and their minds. So they cannot be deceived. So they will know this is not from God. Christ said, many say, we we made many many miracles in your name, in your honor, I mean, in your name. And we cast out demons. And he answered to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, workers of iniquity, that means transgressors of the law. Then Hmm. the word iniquity in Greek, there is anomia, which means, in 1 John 3, 4, transgression of the law. So if that miracle helps, To deceive people and to induce them to worship images, immediately the elect will know. So they cannot be deceived. So we have there a sign that is extremely important, the truth. And uh, Psalm 119 says, your law is the truth. That's the key to discern, my dear friend.
1: You know, one scripture, one passage I have written beside that verse there. Is Isaiah eight and verse twenty? It says to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Exactly. It will be the truth of this word. So, if, if what they're teaching, if what is being taught, comes from this word and it can be proven from from God's word, that's what we need to look for. That's what we're looking for—not for signs, not for wonders, not for. Um, this false sense of, of safety with unity or, or not, nothing like that
0: right I, yeah. <clears throat> I appreciate what you just said because there are people out there I think that would count themselves as someone like, well I you know I can't be deceived. I'm in some category that I can't be deceived. I think King David probably thought for a long time he was in a certain category that would never actually commit adultery, let alone murder a man who wasn't actually uh, you know uh, wasn't actually on the battlefield or something given Old Testament circumstances the fact is we do have to study and show ourselves approved. The Bible talks about there's no such thing as once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible makes it really clear that just because you have God's Spirit and you've committed, you can start to lose these things if you don't actually uh, maintain what you have, if you don't kind of keep that fire burning. If we're not actually in God's Word looking for the things that you guys are highlighting, what what is the truth? And we don't actually maintain that. Uh, we open ourselves up to possibilities. It's It's... You know, it's sad to have seen someone who knew so much and then lose, lose mm. so much, you know, to fall from such a high place. In terms of what the Bible talks about concerning, uh, and this actually relates very directly to the earlier parts of our discussions, one of the characteristics that I see in the Bible about such a one is in Revelation 13 it describes this false prophet who looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. You know, God doesn't give warning for no reason. He's warning us to look out for a person. We're talking about what things to look for. To me, there's two sides to that. Looking like a lamb looks like Jesus Christ. We should expect someone who looks like him. Mm -hmm. It's his height and, you know, his hairstyle or anything. But someone who looks like uh, his wonderful things, the person is helping the homeless and caring about those who need caring about. Looks like Jesus Christ on so many levels, but what does it say? Speaking like the dragon. It's what is the teaching of this person? What are the doctrines of this person? And we live in a world today where people don't even think about such things. They just look on the surface so often and Mm -hmm. think, wow, what a nice, wonderful person. Man, I really admire that guy. But what is he actually teaching? And we know in Genesis 3, the devil is subtle. He was the most subtle of all the creatures. Um, So what are some of the teachings we would expect to hear from such an antichrist?
2: Well, one of them is, you just mentioned it, Uh, One is mentioned here is they will, Christ said to the young man when he asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The, The answer is clear and it sounds clear today. If you want to enter a life, eternal life, keep the commandments. So if someone induces you to go and worship images because it's going to be a powerful thing because... Because of these miracles, people are going to worship them. Right. And we also know, we probably don't have time to explain the whole background, but we know that all these churches have in common Sunday keeping. Mm-hmm. And according to the truth, and your law, your law is the truth, even the Catholic authorities acknowledge that the Bible does not authorize the change from Sabbath to Sunday. They acknowledge, they think they have the authority to change it which, uh, of course, we don't believe, because first, like uh, the book of Luke says, uh, first the world will pass away, then the smallest letter from the law might be broken. So God doesn't change his law. He established Sabbath keeping from the creation of man. He made it for man. And they all have in common this sunday keeping as a common sign right so that's when this unification comes if it happens with this miracle powerful miracles what's going to happen to those that keep not only the sabbath the weekly sabbath but keep seven annual sabbaths that christ kept and we have the record and he came to give us an example to follow his footsteps so we follow him What's going to happen to to those that will not join into this big movement, gigantic Mm. movement? It happened already under Constantine when when he declared Sunday, the day of the sun, as the day to be kept in the Roman Empire. Those that said, no, we'll continue to follow what God says, not what the emperor says. With the church, they have to flee to the confines of the Roman Empire, and many of them were actually killed, and they couldn't have make, they they were forced to open business on the Sabbath and they refused it and there was a big persecution. We might, these things we're talking about here, are signs, if you want to talk about what to watch for, Mm -hmm. is a persecution to those that don't follow what is a transgression of the Ten Commandments. Among them, the second commandment, worship images, the fourth commandment, you shall keep the Sabbath. From the beginning it was established.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of what Mr. Simone said about You want to avoid uh, falling in with false prophets? Then to the law and to the testimony. It's not just... It's to the law that does play a role. Are you actually obeying these things and keeping your mind clear to see? Uh, You you had a comment, Mr. Yeah,
1: just uh, to reflect on what Mr. Hernandez said, uh, in Daniel 7, verse 25, talking about this same false prophet, it says uh, that... He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Right. So this is that same idea you're talking about. Um,
2: Very good. What's the definition of a saint? You can't keep going. Uh, th-
1: th- as a, a Christian who's living God's way of life. Yeah. Revelation fourteen twelve. We have Those random
0: quizzes here on the program. The good job. You passed that one. That's right. That's exactly right. It's uh, not.
1: Not. You didn't have to have to some. Uh, uh, miracle after you've died to become a saint, right. right. The Bible,
0: if if you're actually uh, uh, someone who who follows Jesus Christ, you have God's Spirit. You actually are acting on those things. Then yeah, that's one of the saints. Right. That's what it's talking about.
1: I did want to uh, add one other comment to you know what are some of those teachings. Yes, um, in First John, and verse two, um, chapter two, verse twenty-two. Uh, actually, in verse eighteen, uh, it says, "Little children." It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the antichrist is coming, and even now many antichrists have come, by which we know that that is it is the last hour. Uh, verse 22, and it really this goes deeper. We're not going to get into all of it now, but it gets into oh, here. We have a, a booklet here uh, that look at uh, that
0: attractive booklet. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, that if you want to know more about uh, the Antichrist and the, the doctrine of the Antichrist, that is an excellent booklet to read.
0: Uh, but yeah, we actually have a telecast as well, Meet the Antichrist. Okay. Sounds like something you'd never and, want to do. And oh, did, you, uh, did you do that? I, who did that one? I, I may have done that one, I'm not sure. Yes, I did. Right.
1: All right, so in verse 22 it says, "...who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ." And he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. That's interesting, because what was the one sign that Jesus Christ gave that he was the Christ? And that was that he would be dead in the grave for three days and three nights. Right. And that is denied by... Virtually all of Christianity, if we exactly. want to call call it mainstream Christianity, it is denied in that way. If you if you believe that there is a a Good Friday, and Resurrection Easter Sunday, that that's a false idea, and it leads to exactly what this verse says. It's denying. The very sign that Jesus Christ gave that He was the Christ. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. We actually do have another Tomorrow's World Now program. One of our early ones. All of our these are all available on our YouTube channel. You can go back and see previous programs that we've done. And we actually did one on Easter. Uh, I think that was Mr. Soselka and myself and Mr. Weston. And you go back and see some of those. But it's exactly right. So many people out there keeping Easter and Good Friday in that pair, not realizing three days, three nights don't fit in there. There is, and Jesus Christ said, "This is the sign of my." Uh, Of my messiahship. It's the only sign I'm willing to give you, even though he did many signs and wonders, to be sure. Uh, You point out that there are many antichrists. And so, actually, it's a good time to clarify. We're not saying that there's not currently many antichrists. There are many people already teaching the doctrine of antichrist. It comes actually to a sign of the antichrist I'd like to comment on in a minute. But The Bible does point out in that same passage, he says there is a coming Antichrist, there is a climactic, if you will, Antichrist, one that kind of represents the culmination of this whole system. Before we forget, we do have some questions on Facebook, and one I think is uh, pretty straightforward. I think it's already happening with some of the current Antichrists, if you will, those in that philosophy. Uh, Someone asked about Isaiah 5 and asked, if this person coming will call evil good and good evil and I think it's a unanimous. Uh, will he be doing that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, he absolutely will. Anything that sure. isn't in accordance with God's law is evil. We don't get to define good and evil. God defines that for us, and I think what y'all have made really clear is what this coming prophet and system will do is call things that are against God's law uh, as if they're good. We'll describe them as if they're good, Sunday instead of Saturday, you know, other, other items like you've mentioned.
1: And that doesn't mean that uh, they won't call things good like helping those in need, and oh, helping right. feed people. You know, They won't say, course, don't help that old lady, right, that's, right. Uh, that's, that's of bad. Of course, that's good, right. that's a good thing, right. right? But we're talking about whether it fits in line with what God's Word teaches or not. Uh, Sabbath is called bad, you know, the Seventh-day Sabbath. It has by been those for, people, right? by, yeah, by yeah, many right.
0: individuals in, in in quote unquote Christendom.
1: That's right. Yes, and there's many true doctrines that can be found in God's Word that are called bad,
2: and others that aren't found in God's Word that are called good.
0: Right. Any comments, Mr. Hernandez?
2: uh... yes. It says here in uh, Second Corinthians chapter eleven mm-hmm. and verse. Uh, let me see
0: have to um, highlight, he is using two Bibles here, one in 11, Spanish and one in English. Uh, verse 4.
2: He's really yeah. outshining us, Mr. DeSimone. He uh, says, 2 uh, Corinthians 11, verse 4, he says, For if that comes preaches, preaching another Jesus, another Jesus whom we have not preached. You know, the, frankly, most of Christianity, and people might think were are extremists, they worship already another Jesus. They worship a Jesus that, according to tradition, was born on the 24th of December, when everybody knows he was not born that day, but they do it anyway. He worship a Jesus that had long hair, which we know by the Bible that he was not a Nazarite. and Jesus. that having long hair is, is a shame to man. Christ came to set an example, He had long hair. All the works of art, you go to the National Gallery in London, or you go wherever, you to the Museum El Prado in Madrid, and to, a, and to all churches, they worship a Jesus with long hair. And that's not the true Jesus. He didn't have long hair. And then they worship a Jesus that died on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday morning. That's not the true Jesus. So today, the world is already greatly deceived in worshiping another Jesus, and we can call that is an antichrist. And those that are going to impose that worship by law unless you worship or you die. That's what's going to happen. You have to worship a false, an image of a false Christ. If you don't do it, you are going to die. Read it right there in Deuteronomy chapter, I mean in Revelation 13, verse 13, and the following verses. So we're already living under the Antichrist. Deception is going to be enforced at a worldwide scale through miracles and great power and the consequence will be upon those that want to follow the truth.
0: You know, uh, an interesting thing about that uh that the, the Christ taught by the world actually teaches that God's law is done away. You know, and the very yes. thing the antichrist doesn't want you to consider is actually God's God's own law. There's something you mentioned uh, earlier in conversation. We were talking about it, Mr. De I want to get to this question that someone has asked. Someone has asked on Facebook, "What does it mean to have God's Spirit?" Mm. And that actually, I believe, ties into our topic today because Galatians 2:20 comes to my mind, where Paul says, "You know, you know, I, you know, it's like I've died, but I live. It's really Christ who's living in me, right?" Um, and that ties in with one of the doctrines of. Antichrist uh, right. that John talks about, right, in terms of what does it mean to have God's Spirit in you? What is What, is, what does that accomplish? Oh, right. Wow.
1: So, uh, in fact, I have my finger right here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Look at that, <laughs> I didn't my, know that. My that's mind. Nice timing. Um, that uh, it says in Second John verse 7, for many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. So coming in the flesh, a, a present progressive sense there. It is that He comes and lives inside of us through His Holy Spirit. That's how it works. He, just like you mentioned, uh, Galatians 2 and verse 20, that, that's perfect there, where I don't live, it's not me anymore, it's Christ living in me, is what Paul says and we have God's Spirit living in us, that is Jesus Christ living in us. And this is something that is not taught in that way. Mm -hmm. This is a doctrine, or this is a large part of the doctrine of the Antichrist, or the doctrine of Antichrist.
0: Right, it talks about there, what John says is uh, that the Antichrist won't preach that Christ as coming, it Mm -hmm. means currently. Mm not coming again, the second coming, many people talk about right, that, That's right. even if they don't understand it, they talk no, about it, now. but coming now in the flesh. In Galatians two I'll go ahead and read it out of the King James Version, which in this particular case is a bit of a better translation, where the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me the question from Facebook says, what does it mean to have God's spirit? Well, first it means you've repented of your sins exactly. and embraced God's law yes. and his way of life and Jesus Christ is your Messiah who, who was a part of all of that. And then you uh, have been baptized- In water and brought up, and representatives of Jesus Christ have laid hands on you and you've been given God's Spirit. We do actually, you can go to our website at uh, lcg.org. We have a a link where you can find congregations and such. If you want to talk to a minister or counsel with someone, that can actually put you in touch with someone. But what does it mean to have God's Spirit? It means the beginning of that where Jesus Christ begins living His life in you and living the life that He lived 2,000 years ago in the flesh Keeping His commandments. Including keeping His commandments.
2: The Holy Spirit writes the commandments of God in our minds, in our hearts. That's the new covenant in That's the right. blood of Christ. That means that the Holy Spirit is the seed of the Father who comes into us and makes us a new creature that com- that has to grow in grace and knowledge during the rest of our lives, overcoming our pulls, denying ourselves, following Christ's example, and keeping Going through the narrow path, which is keeping the commandments of God, that's one of the ways keeping knowing that you have the Holy Spirit if you follow Christ in that way.
0: Right. You know, as I get older, I get wider, and I keep hoping I'll still fit in the in the narrow path. But I I like to think I am. There's one more thing I want to address before we begin to to wrap things up with a uh, uh, with a close, and that is the uh, the harlot daughters is we talked about this unification effort and these ideas of trying to bring Protestants and other strands that used to be connected to, to, uh, to Catholicism, to Roman Catholicism. in and, and in the book of Revelation, it speaks of we should expect this final counterfeit religious system to have daughters, to have multiple daughters that have been born from her, uh, and they too are also called harlots. I think it's Revelation 17, I could be wrong, I hope that's right, talks about how she is the, the mother of harlots. And so you should see one system, but with many children that aren't the same but have come from her, that also commit these same kinds of things. And it is fascinating when you look in the Protestant world, how many of them will say, well, we're not the same as the Catholic Church, and yet at the same time, they carry so many of these kinds of doctrines, Sunday instead of Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, not fully recognize what it means to have Christ living you and in you in the same way and all these things. The final question as we wrap things up is, what is ultimately the fate of such a person, the fate of this system, this religious system, this deceptive religious system, and the fate of the one who is called the Antichrist?
2: Uh, what, what is the end for these individuals? <laughs> But well, the end is clearly spoken as the world worships another Christ. we have preached many times that when he returns, people are not going to recognize him. they are completely deceived by the Antichrist, which is very different even physically as i as we we know by the scripture that doesn't fit at all with the true Jesus, okay. and uh, he's coming on a white horse and followed by the by the armies uh, in heaven and uh, if you know the whole story about the marriage of the lamb you will understand that we will be part of that company because we follow christ wherever he goes and we come down and the world is going to reject the king of kings coming to establish the kingdom of god upon the face of the earth the only solution for humankind problems from the beginning they are going to reject him because there is this Great deception of who is Christ, and the Antichrist, of course, has achieved that goal through miracles, deceiving people, and forcing them to break God's law. So we know that both the false prophet and the beast will be cast into a lake of fire. So the end will be exactly what God prescribes in Deuteronomy 13. That prophet must die, and Christ himself is going to take care of that. They will be thrown into a lake of fire, And uh, we know that the devil who who was the power behind them, and many people know that Adolf Hitler was deeply influenced by Satan the devil and gave him that great magnetic power to deceive a whole nation and many other parts of the world. They will end up in a lake of fire and the one who was behind it will be down under the earth for 1,000 years and will have a kingdom of peace with the truth. Will be known and will fill up the earth like the oceans fill the depths of the earth. That's the end and the good news of what's coming after that.
0: That's, I think we can say an <laughs> amen to that, uh, Mr. <laughs> D. Simone. <Amen>. Uh, anything?
2: <laughs> right. Um, yeah, ver-
1: chapter uh, 19 of Revelation. I don't know if you mentioned it, Ch- chapter 19. Go ahead, go ahead. Verse yes. 20. Verse 20, yeah. I oh. was looking for it. I find okay, it. that's fine. It says, uh, <laughs> Then the beast was captured. Uh, with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which uh, he deceived those who uh, received the mark and the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone." So absolutely, that is the end. And then, of course, we know in uh, Revelation 11 verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud, There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, and that is Jesus Christ coming, and will crush it. Amen. That
0: is exactly mm-hmm. right. Mr. John Egwin used to uh, talk about the ash heap of history. Uh, and in this case, it's a literal ash, uh, ash heap. You have the, uh, the false prophet the beast power, uh, everything they've really represented thrown on the ash heap of history and a replacement with the wonderful Mm -hmm. world that is coming, tomorrow's world, Jesus Christ reigning, in which it will be Not this kind of weird political ecumenicalism, but there will be unity that spreads across the world, not because of compromises or trying to say things in a way that hides our differences, but actual real unity under the truth, under God's law and the loving mercy of Jesus Christ in a world that truly is unified together. Uh, Thank you very much, gentlemen, for being here. I want to thank the guys in the control room, Scotty and LaForge, for keeping us on track. And thank all of you for joining us. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again right here uh, next Thursday.